Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Petrolhead Podcast. I am Kyle Mayer. And I'm Chaz Logue. This podcast is brought to you by Petrolhead Cafe, a soon-to-be-launching motorsport uh, bar and restaurant concept that is uh, soon to be launching in Hartford, Connecticut. Chaz, long time no talk, man. How you been? Yeah, it's been a while since we've done one. I think uh, Agape Glue was on our, our last one, right? So that was a few weeks ago. Yeah, that was a good one to uh, leave off at, I guess. Um, yeah, I know that I've been busy having, despite coronavirus, I've had some family in town and uh, you've been away and traveling a little bit, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, traveling within state, but uh, just to my friend's uh, family's beach house down in uh, uh, down by the shore of Connecticut. So, you know, staying okay. compliant. <laughs> yeah. Have you um, I can't remember. Have you done anything at the track since we last recorded? Uh, I did an autocross. Um, yes, that was it. Yeah, I don't think I've done anything else since then. Yeah, how was it? How was the autocross? I was good. I haven't. I, I usually do like maybe one a year. Uh, you know, it's not really my forte, but it's um, I, you know, it's it, it. I I started with autocrossing and then moved into drifting and then moved into track driving. And um, so autocrossing has always been, you know, comparatively, it's been the most boring of them. But uh, you know, it's a great place to start and and to really learn it. So I definitely push people to to start doing it because you really learn a lot about car control. It's competitive, so you know, there's that aspect to it. But I think the reason it ends up being the most quote unquote boring for me is because uh, my car is just not competitive for it. You know, I'm out there on mm. street tires. Everybody else is on R compounds that I'm that I'm against. And just the way I got classed, like I was up against, you know, a couple of BRZs that were modified and had you know, um, uh, race tires on. And then I was up against a C7 Z06 that had track tires on. So I, I think I came fifth out of sixth or something like that for the class. Um, but, uh, I noticed too, I put rear spacious on my car and I definitely felt the understeer because of that. Uh, cause there was one corner we were going into a slalom and then we shoot off to the right and we have to basically do a tight 180 to the left to go back through the same slalom. And uh, that tight 180 was tough. I, you know, I was trying to goose the throttle a little bit to get the rear end to break out to kind of maybe drift around it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, with the rear spacers, I have 17 millimeters on the rears. And um, I think that probably contributed a lot to the oversteer. I don't feel it as much at speed like track driving, but for slow, tight corners like that. Um, it was quite noticeable versus when I first got the car and I didn't have the spacers on, um, you know, I would have been able to probably do that a lot easier. Okay. What do you mean by spacers? Yeah. So, um, when I put new rims on my car, um, it looked weird in the rear because they were, they're, they're extreme concave, right? Um, so it almost looked like the rear tires were pushed in a little bit and the body was overhanging the tires a lot. Mm. So spacers you put between the rim and the hub and it, ex- it pushes the tires outward. So now my rear okay. tires are in line with the rest of the body, but geometrically speaking, they're pushed out. So now I have a wider rear and a wider rear is going to give me more grip and be more stable, which which conversely unstabilizes the front. So that's why I'm getting understeer, you know, that front nose push uh, through the corner because the rear end is overly stable that it doesn't want to slide. Yeah. Um, so it creates it creates additional understeer. Uh, yeah. But that car is, is known for being oversteer happy, and I in slow corner I couldn't get it to happen mm. uh, easily. So the space the the spacers is it purely for aesthetics? Uh, yeah, it's general aesthetics. Um, although with my um, with my drift car, I actually put spacers on the front 
for the exact mm. opposite reason. I want to overstabilize the front. It also gives me quicker steering because the, geomet- the geometry of the steering with the wheels pushed out, now every little turn I do is magnified. So the steering wheel becomes more sensitive, which I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it unstabilizes the rear. So I had low horsepower with you know 155 horsepower in my drift car. So it allows mm-hmm. me to drift easier and, and also be faster with my steering. Um, and then I had modified what are called knuckles, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, push the rear out or push the front out even more, but also lower the geometry of it. Again, giving me faster steering and allowing me to get more angle uh, out of the tires so I can carry more, more angle of, of a drift. Okay. Um, so where was the autocross event held? Um, so for anyone local, it's the Big E parking lot. Uh, so oh, nice. A, a big fair that we do up here. Um, so it's in Springfield, Massachusetts. Okay. How did that get? 20 minutes for me. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. You're right there. Um, but it must be a pretty large parking lot then. How how did this get organized? I'm curious because when I go by a big parking lot, I think about taking like a like a like a high torque, like low horsepower motorcycle, like one of the Ovales, like a little mini bike or maybe a super motorbike. Like I think about ways to get do competitive competition that's similar to autocross, but on small motorcycles in a parking lot to make it more accessible to, you know, regular folks who don't have a lot of money or to kids who might be interested but can't really afford the expense uh, or the time to go to some of the, the, the bigger cart tracks that are more purpose-built for the ovales. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not on the board or anything, but uh, the organization that did this is CART CT, uh, which stands, CART stands for Connecticut Autocross and Rally Team. Um, so CART, you know, CN and CT, Connecticut. Um, so, um, uh, so CART was the one that put this on. And uh, I think what they really do is they just reach out to the owner of the parking lot. So they find out who that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know they're insured as a business. So they, they carry, you know, or, or as a club, I should say. So they carry that, that insurance and uh, they just need the, the blessing and from the, uh, the parking lot owner. So typically they do it in a different area down in Hartford. And I think they had issues with either the owner or the lot or something, but they, they haven't gone back there. Um, and I think they went to another area and then that area, uh, people in the area complained about them being too loud. So then they couldn't use that lot anymore. So, you know, the Springfield ones in a very, um, you know, business district, you know, uh, high, high traffic road area. So it's, um, you know, no one's going to complain residentially about the noise. Okay. So yeah, I, I think that, that, that would be the first thing I think is to reach out to the owner and see, you know, what are their stipulations uh, to get this done? Yeah. Okay. I'll have to, I'll have to, to do that at some point. I mean, it, it, that some point might be a, a few years away, but yeah, when I, when I go by large empty parking lots, I'm always thinking like, Hmm, like, we can get some little mini bikes out here and just have fun with some neighborhood kids kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I, I work in Hartford now, so I'm always going through Hartford and seeing some of these big lots that, excuse me, are there for commuters and for larger events, but mm-hmm. without the larger events and then on the weekends and evenings, you know, these lots are empty. So just kind of wondering yeah. what to do. So um, if, you're on, if you're on 91 headed south, um, going into Hartford, there's like a walking bridge. And as you go under, if you look to your right, there's a parking lot there. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the one that they typically use. It's right next to the uh, the Comcast or Xfinity Center or whatever it's being called now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's right next to that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, but I, I don't know. I've mentioned this before, but there is a spot that is near my house that's been... It used to be, I think, a car auction place, 
it used to be a pretty massive like car lot for something. I don't know if it was where cars something squeaking outside my house very loudly. Um, I know that I don't know if it was a car crusher or or just the auction or or what, but um, it's a vacant it's a lot that's been vacant for years and years and years and years and it's it's for sale but nobody's buying it because the sale price is like they their asking price is like three and a half or four million dollars or something stupid like that mm-hmm. and they're trying to make it out like oh develop your you know this is great land for development blah 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 but then there's a million and a half hoops to jump through because of the environmental impact of all those cars those rusty oil leaking cars that were sitting there years ago um and nobody wants to put up with that to develop some kind of housing or like retail business or anything. Nobody wants to develop uh, something like that. So I think it would be a good opportunity for a cart track because nobody would be living there. Um, I don't know that you would have to go through all the environmental regulations if you were going to just lay asphalt down and have a place to store uh, carts and stuff. But um, mm-hmm. it's also right next to the highway. So it's already pretty loud there and it's you know just got like a big walmart plaza across the street and a uh, now empty um movie theater so there's not 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 much in the way of residential um stuff going on there so i don't know if i, I feel if like I, that's if the I, biggest hurdle to stuff is is it's like building an airport somewhere it's just it's the no oh, yeah to worry about yeah exactly i mean that's the thing for any kind of racetrack around the country right like i know that there was some something going on with lime rock recently where they're yeah (laughs) yeah, they're trying to get racing on sunday and people are arguing about it and you know the people are really poopy around around lime rock and um well it's it's killing lime rock because lime rock you can't race on sundays because there's a church across the street and since it was built in 1959 or whatever year it was, I think it was 59. Um, you know, they said no, uh, no racing on Sundays, and they're trying to get that overturned because if you're a race series, you don't want to do a Thursday, Friday, Saturday because that's going to kill the admission and who shows up. Mm-hmm. You want to do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, Friday right. practice, Saturday race, Sunday race, or something like that, or Saturday qualifying or whatever. However you want to do it. Um, so a lot of race series, you know, they don't like coming to Lime Rock because of that. Um, so if we can get Sunday racing, I think that would, you know, that would help a lot of people, but you know, the people who move next to a racetrack and then they go and they protest the fact that there's a racetrack there. Um, you know, you see the same thing with airports, you move next to an airport and then you try to get the airport shut down and I get it cause it'll increase your property value and everything. But, uh, you know, it hurts other people in the process. Yeah. Plus, you know, the fact that you can move, <laughs> you don't have to yeah. move there. Exactly. You know, especially when it comes to Lime Rock, it's like there's plenty of, uh, you know, plenty of woodsy, quiet retreats for the, you know, wealthy uh, Fairfield County residents or the wealthy uh, New Yorkers to, to go to. Yeah. So, 100%. Um, I mean, I would say, I mean, the, I, I mean, I would say that the only legitimate argument is maybe like the church across the street. Like, OK, that makes more sense because, you know, churches have been having their services on Sunday for eons, you know, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's something that's like always going to have to be, have a certain, I don't know, vibe or mood to it. Um, you know, it's a religious, uh, thing going on. It's not just like a family barbecue or whatever that happens every once in a while. Yeah. Having the preacher, um, like try to yell over, you know, an, uh, an open exhaust V8 is going to be a little difficult. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully there can be some kind of compromise where 
they're allowed like two or three Sundays a year because I think that would make a big difference. It's like, well, you know, maybe the church could go somewhere, not go somewhere else for their service, but maybe like go do a service project one Sunday morning instead of having their normal service. I've heard of things happening like that, but it's like, okay, there can be some compromise where everybody wins and Lime Rock really doesn't need that many Sundays to to have race days. They just only need like two or three, maybe max. Yeah. And I think the compromise would have to basically be the church giving away what they already have, the right that they have. So that's going to be a tough ask. Um, yeah. For a church to show compassion. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. <laughs> but Zing, yeah. Yeah. Don't know. Too soon, Chaz. Too soon. <laughs> Um, actually, I'm pretty sure I saw your BMW in a church parking lot, and that's how we know each other. (laughs) (laughs) As I remember, the church was letting your uh, musical theater group practice (laughs) inside of it. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess I can't complain. (laughs) (laughs) All right, um, so you did some autocross, and yeah, speaking of uh, how I met you the first time, or... I didn't meet you the first time I met your car. Um, I met Sabine, the BMW. She's the better um, looking of the two of us. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to not gonna argue with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I realized today that I've only seen you in in person, in the flesh, once ever. That's true. So I keep I keep thinking of you of like, as, like, a guy that I've, like, we've met and talked at, like, a few barbecues here and there. But then I'm like, no, 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 I've only met Chaz once, even though we've been uh, chatting on the podcast for a few months. Yeah, and that's true. Multiple times. Um, but yeah, you want to you wanna think about trying an in-person episode? Yeah, I think we should. I mean, originally that was the plan, right? Is that that's how this would be? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we should. Uh, I think you and I have been pretty... <sighs> pretty responsible with uh with things uh as far as i know and um yeah i think uh you know we're not breaking any rules what is it a group of 20 right now or 25 or something like that so the two of us is you know not a crowd in any sense uh maybe a little rowdy but that's about it <laughs> by the way thank you for buying a t-shirt and a tank top <laughs> yeah yeah t-shirt for me tank top for the wife all right yeah i i noticed you didn't go for the uh the max verstappen uh f1 car all over print t-shirt you know i saw that i saw your comment and he's actually been growing on me the last couple of races i gotta say yeah i know that's why i said you should buy the shirt <laughs> i don't hate him as much as i did you know a year a year or two years ago yeah um yeah he's growing on me it's just it, i just I can't stand him when he's losing because I, I feel like he's such a crybaby. Um, but, you know, when things are going his way, he's a really, you know, he's a nice, cool guy. And I, I think he's got, uh, yeah, he was hilarious, I think, in the last couple of races, if you if you watched any of that, just with his radio transmissions. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I haven't really, I'll ne- I need to ask you about F1, actually, and what's been going on. Um, but... Max Verstappen is always going to be Brat Verstappen to me. Yeah. You know, you know, do you want to catch us up on the goings on at in F1? Because I I haven't. The only thing I know is like, oh, Lewis Hamilton won again. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I mean, some of the big things that were you know happening was uh you know Racing Point right the pink team uh they were you know they've been known as the pink Mercedes because they basically copied the 2019 Mercedes car and uh, they've been killing it. Um, but the issue is because of a rule change in 2020, 
some of their parts, I think it was like their rear brake duct or something like that, um, is considered uh, a, a violation of that because Mer- they had the plans for Mercedes. They built Mercedes rear brakes and then they changed the rule to say, well, you can't, you know, that's now a, a listed part that you can't buy from another manufacturer. You have to basically invent that part yourself. Um and then when the FI when they were building the car, the FI said, yeah, everything's fine. And then Renault, you know, uh, protested it. So then they went back and they looked at it again, like, okay, well, you're right, this is an illegal part, but we can't expect you to change it because we can't expect you to unlearn what you've already learned, right? You've you've learned what the secrets are of this part and mm-hmm. why it's been working. So we can't expect you to unlearn that. Um, so they find them uh, a ton of money, I forget what it was, and um, they uh, find them uh, 15 points. It was uh, or something like that, and which is enough right now to knock them down. I think below McLaren and below Ferrari, I forget where they are in the standings. But um, now the other teams protested, like, wait, hold on, you said it's an illegal part. They should be disqualified completely. You just slapped them with a, a penalty on that. Like that's not cool. So now. It's been brought up for a third time and, you know, to see to see where it's going to go. So because they're protesting that now, I think it goes in front of um, instead of just the FIA making decision, it goes like in front of basically judges uh, to decide the fate because Racing Point said, no, that's too harsh. You can't punish us for a rule change. And everyone else is saying, well, if it's illegal, then the car should be disqualified completely, not just fined and and some points deducted. Um, Anyway, I say that because the other thing with them is is. Uh, Sergio Perez got coronavirus um, after I think like the the third or fourth race, and uh, which meant he can't he couldn't race the two races in Silverstone because once you test positive, it's like a mandatory two week, which put him out of both those races. Um, so uh, Nico Hulkenberg, in a kind of a surprise, I thought they were gonna go with um, uh, Gutierrez there, um, but. Uh, uh, Esteban Gutierrez, because uh, that's a Mercedes backup driver, and, but um, Racing Point has access to him mm-hmm. as well. But they ended up calling in Nico Hulkenberg. So everyone's like, oh, Nico's in a ke- very capable car. Maybe he has a chance at his first podium ever now that he's already retired. And uh, although he qualified third in the second race, um, I, I think he finished like sixth or seventh or so. I forget where he finished, but it wasn't near a podium, unfortunately. And the mm-hmm. first, <clears throat> excuse me, in the first race, he um, the engine... Uh, failed on him right as he was like basically getting to grid so the oh. car never even started the race so That's he right. started with the dnf yeah i heard um, about that yeah so that was unfortunate but uh yeah honestly the races of the the last two silverstone races uh i thought were pretty boring i thought the qualifying was more interesting um uh, excuse me, I'm talking. I'm, uh, the last Silverstone race and the Spain race. The first Silverstone race was boring until like the last few laps, and then everybody's tires started exploding. That's right. Yeah, and that's when Lewis Hamilton finished on three tires. You know, he had to finish basically half of a lap on on three tires. Mm-hmm. Um, and Max Verstappen was going for fastest lap at the time, which he got. But he's chasing him down, trying to get the time, and unfortunately had a. Uh, they pulled Verstappen in to switch him onto fresh tires so that he can go for fastest lap. Had mm-hmm. they not done that, he would have won the race because uh, he was only, I think, like five seconds behind Hamilton, and a pit stop mm-hmm. there costs you, you know, 25 seconds or so. Right. So he would have easily beat Hamilton um, had they not pulled him in. Uh, so super unfortunate, but oh well, you know, it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, last last like Spain is usually a boring race. It was just tire management for you know, 60 laps and then racing for like, you know, 
the other six laps or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so it was a pretty boring race overall. Um, and people and kind of ended where you expected them to. I mean, you know, some people had like Sebastian Vettel, I thought had a really good drive, uh, mm-hmm. and his radio transmissions were pretty hilarious because Ferrari has always had a bad reputation for their strategists, and <laughs> they were playing live the radio transmissions where Vettel gets on. He's like, "Okay, guys, gotta let me know what we're gonna do. It's been radio silence here. Am I am I pushing these tires? What am I doing?" And they're like, "Okay, stand by." And then like two laps later, they come back and they're like, "Okay, Vettel, so what do you want to do?" <laughs> Vettel comes out like, Jesus Christ, guys, this is what I just asked you. You got to tell me what to do, okay? And then he, like, you should go look at the transition. It's hilarious. He's like, basically, how many laps do we have left? Take a look at what the average pace is and what my pace that you think we can do, okay? And then go and do the math and then tell me the answer. <laughs> like, he was, oh, he was going through the basics of, of racing strategy. And then they came back and they're like, all right, we need you to maintain this. You know, and the t- we think the tires can maintain this and, and we could do that. So we'll keep you out there. Are you comfortable with that? He's like, yeah, whatever. You know, and then it was just like, <laughs> you could tell he was like so frustrated. And the heat was crazy that day. And everybody I thought was so like snappy with their engineers. Because oh, yeah. I think it was like one of the hottest days ever for F1. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's just, just people were snapping for stopping. It was like, stop worrying about what Mercedes is doing. Just focus on what we're doing. Like he yelled at his engineers over that. Which I agreed, and that, that kind of made me, you know, move more to the Verstappen side. But um, yeah, it's just everyone was so snippy over the <laughs> over the radios with their with their engineers. Yeah, uh, I thought it was funny. But anyway, yeah, and uh, Leclerc was the one who spun and not Vettel for once, so that was uh, interesting. But he spun because the engine shut off mid corner on him, and had oh, a failure. Geez. Yeah, so then he <laughs> he comes into pits, takes his belts off because he's thinking he's done, and they're like, no, 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 we're getting you back out there. But again, like I said, it was a hundred something degrees. So he was probably like, guys, I'm done. Like, I'm not yeah. even going to place 10th at this point or, or probably even 15th. Right. You know, and so he was getting out. So then they run and they're trying to rebuckle him in. And then after like 10 seconds of that, they're like, all right, fine, you're done. <laughs> so that was like, I kind of felt for Leclerc. I was like, I was like, just get him out. Like, he's not going to score any points. Might yeah. as well just give him a break at this point. Yeah. I was like, checking five out. people would have to crash. Yeah. I was looking up. Um... So a while back, I started following Charles Leclerc at, on Instagram, and uh, his girlfriend, like, I was wondering if it was his sister, because <laughs> Charles Leclerc and his girlfriend look yeah. a lot alike. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I always find it a little weird when people are together with people who look, like, too similar. Yeah, it's a common thing, though, you know? Yeah, I know that's what I've heard, but mm, I think yeah. it like I think it's kind of weird. Yeah, I don't know. It's I, I don't think I like a thing like my wife, so oh well. <laughs> yeah, no, I um no, I know I I don't either, but um there I mean there are people who are together with people with others who look just like them, and it's it's kind of an odd thing. It's like a it's like something Freudian or, or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, anywho. Um, so what about the MotoGP world? I think that's probably been a lot more exciting than the F1 world. Yeah, as usual, MotoGP is more exciting <laughs> on track than uh, than Formula One is. I was gonna add, actually really quick, like one of the things that that I think makes MotoGP more exciting. I mean, aside like if there were two things that need to be improved or that that I could change if I just pushed a magic button and made formula one better number one would be reduce the wheelbase because it's far too big and indie cars get plenty of power 
out of their little like 1.6 liter engines or whatever they're running they get plenty of power out of them and the wheelbase is is quite small and they're able to be stable at high speeds as as can be shown uh at, at indy motor speedway and, and during the indianapolis 500 which is coming up this weekend yeah. so i think if f1 shortened the wheelbase and then if they didn't have any tire changes at all, like if it was just a straight up sprint race, maybe 60 laps, 50 laps even, you know, maybe a little shorter, but if Pirelli or whoever made some like really hardcore tires, because my understanding is that the tires are kind of made to, to, to degrade essentially. Like they're made so yep. that drivers have to pit. Right. Um, I think maybe drivers should pit only if they get like if they if they absolutely have to if they get really desperate because then i think it's a proper race because it's tire management plus there's zero pit strategy so it's 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 like more up to the driver yeah yeah i i like pits because it does shake things up a little bit because mm-hmm. the pit strategies if teams are doing different pit strategies it could get racers closer to each other so the reason i say that is if you have a team that's dominating so much and then they just run away like mercedes mm-hmm. um, so if if everyone goes out there and they push like look at at um qualifying times where they go out yeah. and they push yeah. like the qualifying times are still drastically different from mercedes to like everybody else Mm-hmm. And so if you have guys constantly pushing, it's still going to spread the field out. And then I think there's going to be a few people racing here and there. But what pit strategies, I think, do and the reason they probably have them is one, I, you know, I think it's it's safer to keep switching your tires. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it is. Um, but uh, uh, I, I think it shakes it up and it adds another complexity to it because I agree. I mean, trust me, I'm the first one to say I want to watch the drivers do what they do. Mm-hmm. And I hate stuff like sp- like um, Spain, and you see this all the time in Singapore too, and any track where it's hard to pass, it becomes mm-hmm. tire management. Like hot tracks where it's hard to pass, Monaco, Singapore, I think Baku too, they do this, but it's just, it's literally like 50 laps of tire management, and then it's a sprint race at the end. And I agree, I hate that. I hate that they do that. And um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to do it. I mean, because the qualifying times are like a minute 16, right? By the top, by the fastest guys. And then the race times, like the fastest lap was a, a minute 25 for the longest time. Like that's ridiculous. You're going nine, 10 seconds slower than you were um, in qualifying. So it's, yeah, it's, I agree with you. I, I hate tire management. It's the most boring thing to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, because when we're, when you're on board with like Valtteri Bottas, you're on board with him. We were on board with him in qualifying, and he's flat out during, um, I forget what turn number it is, the fast right-hander there at Spain, where only like a, a couple of the fastest cars can go flat out. Some of the slower guys have to lift a little bit. But he's flat out in that corner during qualifying. And then you watch the the onboard race, and he goes through that section, and he lifts like, woo, like way before, turns in, coasts through it, and then late on the throttle. I'm like, he's going so much slower than mm-hmm. he could be with that car right now. And it's right. all because of tire management. And mm. it's 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 awful. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I agree with you to an extent. I mean, I like that they change tires. I just wish that they wouldn't do tire management. But, you know, with one comes the other. So, yeah, um, I think it's worth. See, this is what I, I feel like Formula One, whoever, whoever makes these decisions, FIA, 
um, you know, whoever that owns the series, the commercial rights to the series. I don't know that they would go for this, but just one race, like Monaco, just like no pit stops for Monaco. Yeah. You know, like or just any race or, or I mean, this, you know, the next this year, maybe next year would be a time to do it. Maybe next year they could do it. But if if this whole COVID thing is going to keep happening, there's not going to be like spectators at a race or two or whatever, or there's going to be like reduced crowds. You know, it's worth a gamble for them to be like, all right, this isn't our most commercially, uh, you know, usually our most commercially like money making race. Um, Let's just try something interesting and we'll just do no pit stops, you know, maybe like a year in advance, maybe around now, ask Pirelli to be like, all right, can you engineer some tires that are going to, you know, last 50 laps or, or whatever, um, you know, something like that. I mean, cause that's how, I mean, MotoGP, you know, I think one of the circuits that's really short, they do like 32 laps, but most, most of the, uh, most of the circuits are going to be between like 23 and 26 laps. Um, yep in the MotoGP race, which isn't very much if, you know, compared to uh, Formula One, which is like twice that many. Um, I think that's why MotoGP has had to um, play up the support classes a lot more than Formula One has. Um, it's because on, on the Grand Prix race day for MotoGP, you know, you got to have that three hours of racing and you get it not just from MotoGP, but from Moto2 and Moto3 as well. Yeah. Um, and sometimes even Moto E. Or um, in Europe, they have the Red Bull Rookies Cup. That's a support class. They will race on Saturday and Sunday. Um, yeah, MotoGP is great about that. And I think that's something that maybe, I mean, there's so many lessons I think that Formula One should take from the, the MotoGP playbook. Because, I mean, speaking of updates in the, the MotoGP world, I think qualifying at the Red Bull Ring this past weekend, I want to say that the top 10 were within half a second. Their lap times were within a half second. The top 10. That's insane. I mean, there's never been a generation of of MotoGP that has had such a tight field before and with such a diverse number of manufacturers too. And it's it's weird. I don't know how exactly it's happening. Um, but the field is tight. The bikes are fast. The technology is advancing. The lean angles are increasing. The speeds are increasing. Everything is just getting better. Um, in MotoGP, and yet all the manufacturers are pretty much keeping pace with each other. And this is such a, it, I mean, as the as the year, the season goes on for MotoGP, we're really, really getting to see a field. I mean, basically, we're getting to see what MotoGP is like without Marc Marquez, right? Which would be Formula One without Lewis Hamilton, essentially. Um, and which is it's like good it's like obviously there's pros and cons like there's pluses and minuses um i think there's going to be a big asterisk next to whoever wins the championship in moto gp this year um i'm not going to care about that i'm not going to argue like oh but mark marquez blah blah blah. and the reason being is that mark marquez crashed all on his own and hurt himself all on his own and decided to come back way too soon you know hurt himself again had another surgery on his arm and it, like the reason why mark marquez mark marquez is the reason that mark marquez is not racing in 2020 yeah as of as of yet um it's not something you know, like you know the, the the regulatory authority came in and disbanded them for something stupid or anything like that it's just you know, it's a, a mistake he made that uh that cost him the championship right it's it's not it's not any outside factor it's not another rider crashing into him it's not some freak accident that he had during training you know like if he got hit by a car while he was on his bicycle um yeah driver error rider error 
it's a hundred percent on him. Um, you know, so I have zero problem like calling this year's champion the a legit champion. Yeah. Um, especially if it's not Mark Marquez. Um, on one hand, we have Fabio Quartararo, who is still leading the championship. On the one hand, I want to see him win the championship because he's a privateer team rider. Um, it would be like, yeah, it would be like Sergio Perez, you know, winning for Racing Point. You know, uh, one of the top manufacturers, like uh, junior teams kind of thing. Or like yeah. somebody from uh, AlphaTauri winning the championship, which would be insane. It would just be like, I don't. that's never happened before in the time that the series has been called MotoGP. Um, so part of me wants to see that happen, but part of me also wants Andrea Davizioso to win. Um, Andrea races for Ducati right now. He's been with them for six seasons, I think. And he announced that he's leaving Ducati um, mm. a couple weeks ago. And there's a lot to be talked about there. There's been a lot of rumors of relationship breaking down between him and Ducati. Um, you know, people, I repeatedly hear that, you know, Ducati doesn't treat their riders well. Who knows if that's true or what that even means? Um, you know, but that's just because a lot of the top, um, a lot of the top riders have ended up leaving Ducati. Either you know they've just parted ways with Ducati, not on good terms. I mean, Casey Stoner left after 2010, I want to say, um, or maybe 2009. Valentino Rossi was with them for like two or three seasons and finally left after not really doing much with the bike. And Jorge Lorenzo left um, after two seasons. His second season was awesome. Um, I loved watching him on the Ducati uh, when he finally gelled with the bike and started winning races. It it really was like, you know, like, you know, he really shut the haters up, I would say. Um, it was kind of like a, you know, take that kind of moment for him, I think which was cool to see because so many people were, were doubting him for so long at Ducati because he had a miserable first season with them. Um, but then once he once he started to gel with the bike, he like, he just like just straight up beat everybody. Like he beat Mark Marquez, he beat Maverick Vinales, he beat Valentino Rossi and Andrea Davizioso who had been with Ducati for so long and just like just took it to him. And it was it was cool to watch him do that at Mugello and in Spain at Catalunya. Um and in at the Red Bull ring, actually, he won, um, which was cool. So um, anyway, I'm kind of kind of getting off track. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, MotoGP. Now Andrea Davizioso has left, like, one of their most loyal riders who's helped them develop the bike. He's come in second in the championship behind Mark Marquez multiple times. Um, so he's leaving, and we'll see what happens. But I would, like, part of me wants to see him win the championship because he's never won the championship. He's been a, a bridesmaid, never a bride up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, With, I mean, um, kind of a dumb question. Um, so for someone like Mark Marquez, do they have somebody riding his bike when he's out? Yes, they have a test rider, Stefan Bradl. Okay. Who, um, so yeah, Stefan Bradl was a good rider in MotoGP. He rode for LCR Honda, which was a set, it's his, a private team. Mm-hmm. Um, he was with them. He might have, I can't remember. I think he might have gone to World Superbike for a season or two after leaving MotoGP. Um, now he's a test rider for the for Honda Racing. Um, but he's come in, he's done that several times, come in to replace a rider. When it comes to performance, Honda's really been struggling without Marc Marquez. And this brings up a very interesting thing that I think you would, um, you would like to talk about. And that is kind of back several episodes ago um, or even maybe the first one um, some of the very early episodes we talked about cars and how you know you kind of like 
the race cars that that are a handful, right? You want you know challenging to to operate, you know, really showing the driver skill, that kind of thing. Right. The Honda Moto, Honda's MotoGP bike is that is that um, handful bike on the MotoGP grid, and for actually quite a few number of years now, um, the Honda has been known as a really tough bike to handle, and up until this point, Honda hasn't really cared because Mark Marquez has been able to kind of tame the beast and ride it to, what, six MotoGP world titles, you know, in the last seven, eight years, something like that. And so Honda has kind of put all their eggs in the Mark Marquez basket and been like, you know what, we don't care about anybody else riding a Honda as long as Mark Marquez keeps winning. Uh, that's, how, you know, we're going to keep making the bike a real bucking bronco really hard to handle kind of bike Mm -hmm. and other riders of the honda have been kind of complaining for years that it's a tough bike to handle and that's really showing itself now because the honda riders are not really anywhere near the front the last the only races that we've had in moto gp and um I i did read something relatively recently that it's not a necessarily a new philosophy for honda racing to to have a bike that's really tough to ride um there are kind of two schools of thought uh, when it comes to engines in MotoGP. There's the V4, and then there's the inline four engine. Mm-hmm. Since all all engines need to be four cylinder and be about what like 999 cc uh, displacement, there's you know the V4 school. Um, you know just because of the physics, a V4 motorcycle is able to be faster in a straight line. It's able to crank out more horsepower. Um, because of the physics of it, but it might end up being harder to handle. Whereas an inline four is going to not have quite as much horsepower, but be a lot, you know, easier to handle. And Honda has had for a while, like the philosophy of the V4, um, very strongly, like, you know, we'll never do anything but a V4, you know, well, you, you can never be as fast with an inline four, um, you know, the bike should be hard to handle and we'll find a rider who can handle it. And so far they've been successful. Um, it, it does take to really do well on the Honda. It like, there are very few people that that have been able to do well with the Honda. Um, you know, year after year, Casey Stoner, Danny Pedrosa and Mark Marquez are pretty much the only guys who have really made the Honda work for them. Um, Cal Crutchlow, he can, yeah, he's actually won a couple of races as a private. He's a he's on LCR Honda, which is a private team. So he's he's made the Honda work for him decently, but he plays a pretty big role in development. So the bike is kind of suited for him a little bit more so. Um, what other teams are running a, a V4? Good question. So Honda, Ducati, Aprilia, and KTM. So there are six manufacturers, and four of them run V4s, whereas... Uh, Yamaha and Suzuki run inline fours. Um, And yeah, this year has been very interesting because so far the the Yamahas have been pretty darn quick, both in the races and in qualifying. Like Maverick Vinales, the uh, factory uh, Yamaha rider, qualified on pole at the Red Bull ring, which is very surprising because the Red Bull ring is very much a, a horsepower track. For sure. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of long straights and kind of, a few flowing like like long flowing turns but then a lot of like kind of long straight tight turn long straight tight turn long straight tight turn right. so it's it's very it was very surprising that maverick was able to put the bike on pole um i want to say i think it was jack miller who is 
second on the grid. He's riding a D- Ducati um, for the basically the Ducati Junior team. Um, and then I was Fabio Quadraro third, I think. He was he also runs a Yamaha. So you know, and, and of course Fabio is the championship leader right now, right? He's on a privateer Honda, uh, Yamaha. And he's won two races and um, done pretty well in the others, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember what he's what he's done after winning the first two races. Um, but yeah, it's kind of the fact that the the Yamahas did well at the Red Bull ring. Actually, the Suzukis did really well. I'm very surprised and pleased and excited to see what the Suzukis have been doing. Um, Alex Renz, who is probably one of my favorite riders, um, not probably, he is one of my favorite riders. Um, I always root for him on a Sunday. He led the race for a little while before, unfortunately, crashing out. Um, but yeah, uh, there was a Suzuki on the podium at Red Bull Ring. It was, uh, they say his name is Joan Mir, but I don't know how that is because he's Spanish. And I would think that his name is Juan, Juan Mir, and not yeah. Joan Mir, but... Yeah, this guy, the other Suzuki rider, um, they're both pretty young guys, but Juan Mir is a Moto3 world champion, had his rookie season in GP last year, um, and finally just got on the podium at the Red Bull ring of all places um, on the Suzuki. So I've been very excited by the development that Suzuki has done, especially because as a as a consumer um, manufacturer, like a, as a manufacturer of consumer goods, like Suzuki motorcycles, they've been really struggling as a manufacturer. Um, I've heard people that are worried that Suzuki as a company might not exist in 10 years. So um, to see them come really far in MotoGP is pretty cool. Very exciting. Oh, we also had a big crash. (laughs) Want to talk about that? Uh, Very briefly, but really mostly because everybody else is talking about it. So there's not really much to talk about. I mean, I think just the... The only thing that, I mean, there was a big crash. You can probably see it on YouTube or wherever. Find it on the internet. Um, I read an article that was titled The Miracle of the Austrian GP is that nobody died, which I think is very true. Um, I I think Maverick Vinales and Valentino Rossi probably could have come very close to dying if they had gotten hit by uh, the bikes. So what happened was um, bikes were coming out of a very, very, very fast um, left hand turn which is really more like a curve than a than an actual turn um at red bull ring yeah red bull ring so i think okay. it's turned yeah two. It's kind of downhill yeah it's the kind of downhill turn two i think so so they're going kind of downhill and what hold on i gotta they're coming yeah it's like a left curve and then they have to slow down a lot for a tight right hand oh so turn, turn. two so the kink right the, the kink the yeah the turn. kink okay yeah so turn two the kink they were coming through the kink they came through the kink um two riders johan zarco and uh, franco morbidelli they touched i guess franco's front wheel touched uh johan zarco's rear wheel at very high speed they both um ended up going off track they were generally okay like for the most part it wasn't a terrible crash for the two guys involved the problem was that their motorcycles kept moving um like Johan Zarco's bike like kept going upright and like basically driving and drove into the air fence, which thankfully did its job and did its job, slowed the bike down, broke it into a bunch of pieces. Yeah. Are you watching it or just looking at a photo? Yeah, I'm watching it. Oh, okay. Oof. Yeah, those bikes are destroyed. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's like they just got whacked. They're like a pinata that just got whacked by a big hammer, essentially. Yeah. Um. 
yeah, it's incredible the destruction of those bikes. It's like it's really surprising. Um, you don't see bikes just disintegrating like that very often. Um, oh, I noticed when the guy fell down, they put a doctor barrier around him. I've never seen that before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's, that's common. Yeah, uh, he's looking at it from the point of view of the guy who was basically lucky that the two bikes went flying in front of him. Yeah, I think that's Valentino. Yeah. Wow, crazy, man. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of discussion about, um, you know, how to make the track safer, and, I mean, at the end of the day, like, it's, you know, maybe they could extend the air fence a little more at, at that turn, maybe they could change the um, material that's used in the gravel trap, um, like a better engineered material that slows things down a little bit, um, but someone else I've seen make the point that it's like, hey, these motorcycles are going really fast and the field is very, very tight. And this is just what happened. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I can't disagree with that because the field is tight. There's no denying it. And it's the tightest that it's ever been. The bikes are the fastest they've ever been. So something like that is inevitable. I mean, I look at it now, the kind of new uh, discussion point or, you know, controversy, whatever you want to call it, is whose fault was it? Is it was it Zarco's fault or Morbidelli's fault or is it no one's fault and just a racing incident? Um, I look at that, you know, people argue all these little minutiae, um, but I look at that, I just see it as a racing incident. Um, yeah, I mean, from what uh, I see, it's a racing incident. It wasn't right. anyone's fault, um, from what I can tell. It, I can't believe how lucky Rossi got. Like oh, that. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, the bike almost took his head off. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, incredible. Right, over and over again, people are saying, like, oh, I've never, like, Rossi came into the pits, and people were saying, like, I've never seen Rossi's face like that. Like, once he once he got off the bike, took his helmet off, and, like, sat down, like, over and over again, the commentators were like, I've never seen Valentino Rossi like that. You know, he's probably never experienced something like that in all his 25 years in the Grand Prix paddock. Um, you know, and, and it's true. And, like, you know, I don't really care to discuss any contra you know whose fault was it blah 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 i mean yeah it looks like a racing incident two guys trying to occupy the same piece of tarmac at the same time exactly from what i see it looks like the lead bike um basically is you know probably sees the other guy behind him but moves over gives him plenty of room to move over but maybe that guy just wasn't expecting it to happen um i mean that's that's ultimately kind of what it looks like is it was just uh you know, it was one racer making a move that he thought was safe and then the other racer not anticipating it and, and collecting them. So, yeah, I would call the racing incident 100%. Nobody yeah. did a fault. Yeah, people are all nitpicky, like, oh, like, when did Zarco break? You know, was he breaking on purpose to block Morbidelli and Morbidelli didn't react fast enough, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, oh, Morbidelli was on the racing line and Zarco was offline, so it's his fault, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, I mean, you can argue that for ages on end and I don't think it really... I don't think it really matters because riders will take different lines to overtake each other or block. So, like, I don't think, yeah, it's just a racing incident. And then there was another incident. Unfortunately, kind of a bummer. I feel bad for Johan Zarco because um, he's been really riding really well um, as of late and has kind of a bit of a, there's a bit of drama surrounding him because he left a factory team in the middle of the season last year and, you know, is kind of, nobody really knows what his future is like, but here he is on a, a privateer um, Ducati, and he put the put the bike on pole position at Brno a couple weeks ago. Um, came came home with a podium at Brno as well in third place. But in that race too, there was what I saw as a racing incident that was very similar. Um, you know, Paul Espargaro on the factory KTM basically runs wide in a in a in a turn. Zarco basically comes underneath him, takes the inside line, 
and then Paul Espargaro, instead of you know yielding the position because he made a mistake and went wide, he tries to get back on the racing line and the inside line. So he and Zarco touch. You know, unfortunately, Paul Espargaro uh, crashed out, but Zarco was able to keep going and took third place. But the stewards did penalize Zarco by making him do the long lap penalty, um, which is a relatively new penalty. I think is actually like a really good solution. Um, you you can you can penalize riders on track without being too harsh, um, like without making them do a ride through, um, without making them like yield a position or without taking time away, like doing like a five second penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a good a good way to go because it, it leaves like they they get penalized, but it leaves them. What do they have some, to do with the long lap? Yeah, so some circuits have this built into it now. Um, they built like new kind of tarmac areas, but at Brno, um, they just add like basically at Brno, it forces you to go really wide on a on a given turn. So every circuit now that MotoGP races at has a uh, long lap uh, turn. So basically, they have to do they have to do a really wide turn at one of the turns, and um, that as I think that's the safest and most appropriate way to penalize riders because back years ago, um, sometimes a rider would have actually have to yield a position, right. which was really challenging because you know they would have to like they would have to know who's like how many riders are behind them, how fast are they are you know how far back are they, how quickly are they coming. So it was like it put a rider in a really weird position where they would have to like you know get off the racing line, like look back, like okay. You know, if you have a pack of riders behind you, you're not yielding just one position at that point. Like, how do you yield one position when there's, you know, three guys in a little train coming behind you? How are you supposed to squeeze in between the first and second guy, which you're obviously going to try to do because you don't want to give up three positions. If you only have to give up one, you only want to give up one. You're not going to give up yeah. three. You're racing. Well, well it's a penalty. <laughs> right. So so the, the long lap penalty... Um, has been a really good and safe solution. It, it penalizes the rider. It leaves them a little bit of um, a choice because they have like two or three laps to do it once they get the the signal that they, they have to do the long lap. Um, so it kind of leaves it in their hands um, and it, it works. Like it, it kind of forces them to yield a position. Like maybe, like they're yielding time essentially, but sometimes it's both time and a position. Um it, it yeah it allows them to keep a certain amount of ground between themselves and the next guy like if they're five seconds ahead of the next guy they can do the long lap penalty and it it eats away at their lead um but they don't have to wait for the guy behind them to to make up that five seconds and pass them and then catch up to them so anyway that was a long explanation of the long lap penalty um so yeah johan zarko had to do the long lap penalty i thought that was a little premature i thought it was kind of silly um you know, but anyway, the, in, I feel like the, Formula One's been doing this too, where they they've been any incident they've been penalizing somebody. Uh, like a racing incident is no longer a thing, mm-hmm. and I disagree with that because I, I see so many instances and and they penalize somebody, and I'm like, oh, you know, was it more that person's fault than the other? Maybe, but barely. You know, like it, it it's a little ridiculous. Like, uh, and you know, Vettel got pissed about this in Canada last year, where he yeah. You know, skip the corner and and they say that, you know, it, or he like, you know, hopped the corner, was losing control of the car 
and skidded out into um it was a slight skid but in front of um uh, hamilton and um you know they called it uh, a five second penalty because they or i think it was Verstappen. or i think it was hamilton yeah it was hamilton um, yeah so he slid in front of hamilton and then you know they're like well that was a unsafe re-entry or something like that which is it was, it was kind of bogus i mean you're doing everything you can to keep the car under control um and it's just a racing incident he lost control of the car he regained control and that was it that's all it should have been yeah no i agree 100 percent. yeah um uh, anyway um yeah yeah the the crash uh, aside from that um i've never seen moto gp riders so high strong i mean it was like right from the get-go it's a high horsepower track there was a big crash and i'm sure those guys had some pretty wicked adrenaline going um because after they red flagged the race like i mean alex wren's crashed out of the lead on mm-hmm. a on the a corner i think turn four i want to say like he he had he had almost crashed like a couple laps before like he had a warning you know but he was able to save it and then a couple laps later he's he's crashing out of the lead with like i don't know 12 laps to go maybe maybe eight laps to go like way too soon for him to be taking such risk so it was kind of weird because he doesn't usually crash like that um you know he's usually like a very disciplined very like intelligent, calculating rider. Um, there was that, and then uh, poor Paul Espargaro. His team's, you know, re- he's on the Red Bull KTM. The Red Bull ring is the home track both of Red Bull and of KTM. So he's he's got you know a lot resting on his shoulders at the team the team's home race, and he was leading the race before the red flag came out. Um, but then he and Miguel Oliveira, who was on the the Tech Three um tech 3 ktm which is it, tech 3 ktm is basic is kind of like the the red bull ktm junior team they run the um uh not alpha tori what's the other one uh they run the toro rosso color so the 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 livery color scheme is toro rosso basically yeah um for tech tech 3 ktm so miguel Oliveira and and Paula spargro they both ran wide at one turn they ended up touching and both crashing and like they were they were fuming after that they were just so upset and i was just like dang man like those guys were just yeah i've never seen moto gp riders so high strung as they were um at austria this past weekend yeah well maybe with marquez off it everyone feels like they have a shot at the, the title <laughs> right and, they, and they're right they do have a shot at the title that's yeah. the crazy thing. Like they do have a shot at the title. That's that's it's absolutely true. And every everybody's like really battling for yeah, it. Yeah, like I, I could imagine the same thing in F one if uh you know Mercedes got a penalty and got disqualified for a season. Um like everybody would be pulling out all the stops and just, you know, basically going ham every every freaking mm-hmm. every freaking race. Ferrari would do everything, McLaren, racing point. Renault, uh, you know, all the quote-unquote midfields would, would be gunning for top position. And I think there'd be a lot of rubbing, uh, a lot of, you know, swearing. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, it would be, I would love that season. <laughs> I think it would be oh, awesome yeah. if, if Mercedes got DQ'd for, for a season. That would be incredible. Right. Yeah. I mean, the the I think the most disappointing thing about the MotoGP season is that, uh Petrolhead Cafe does not exist yet, so we can't all 
you know, watch it all together and, mm-hmm. you know, cheer and cry and <laughs> laugh and commiserate all together uh, as fans uh, in one place. So that's that's the biggest disappointment for me, at least. Um, otherwise, it's just it, it will this will go down probably as one of the best MotoGP seasons um, just just because of how strange it is. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. You know, with with uh, their DAS system, the dual axis steering in the Mercedes, I really thought that. Uh, we had a shot at Mercedes getting in a lot of trouble this year and then maybe getting DQ'd. But nope, Mercedes isn't allowed to get in tr- into trouble, it seems. <laughs> so like they in get F- out of everything, and it's always the other guys who get in trouble. In F1, car, like teams and cars can get DQ'd for an entire season? Um, well, I think so. <laughs> okay. I can't think- trying to think of a, of a time it's happened and nothing comes to mind uh, it, but yeah, i mean that's that's the the thing with racing point that's what they're saying is racing point should be disqualified for their car um you know usually it's them trying to bend the rules and then they say okay well we'll let it slide this time but not next time um or sometimes they say no you need the car is disqualified you got to go make another car or right. you know leave that piece right uh, so you've seen that with other things like where you know the was was it the uh, the X wings? I mean all the all the like crazy innovation stuff. If you, know, you look on YouTube, there's all the right, videos. Oh. Yeah, like yeah. So you know I think that they ended up getting um, that you know they were deemed unsafe and they had to be removed. So that's an easy fix. But yeah, something like the DAS probably an easy fix. You just go back to the 2019 steering wheel and maybe modify it and put it in. I don't know. What do I know about manufacturing cars? But um, yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that's all I got, I think, for MotoGP. They race at Austria again for the Polystyrene Grand Prix. Oh, wait, no, the the Styrian Grand Prix, Um, just like Formula One did. Yeah, doubleheader. Um, Yeah, we're headed to – they're not doing a doubleheader in Spain. I can't remember where they're going next. Is it Russia? I think we're in Russia. Well, we have the Indy coming up, so that's all I care about this weekend. Yeah. Um, Oh, we're in Spa. Nice. That's like – All right. Yeah, Spa's great. Yeah, so not this weekend, but next weekend we'll be in Spa. Uh, and then it's a doubleheader in well, it's it's two races in Indy, uh, in uh, Italy, but uh, different tracks. Oh yeah, you know what? Yeah, man, we got to get together and, and maybe watch some racing because I really want to see F1 at uh, at Mugello because MotoGP races there. Right. Um, Mazda is usually a pretty good race too. Uh, but yeah, Mugello. Um, yeah, I'm not too familiar with the track, so it'd be. It's gonna be fun to see. Yeah, I know it's 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 a workout for the for the GP guys. Um, it's a good it's a good good track. It looks super um, curvy, so yeah, I'll. Uh, it's probably not gonna be great for F1 because there's probably not as much passing opportunities for the cars because of their long wheelbases. <laughs> true. True. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. It'll be it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. No. Overtaking. Um. Actually, on the fr- the front straight is really long. And the first turn is very long as well. So I can imagine there might be a lot of DRS action going on the front straight and um, a lot of overtaking attempts um, on turn one, especially on guys with fresh tires versus old tires. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I guarantee that's going to happen. The guys with fresh tires are going to go, you know, DRS for the overtake on the front straight and then try to pass around the outside. I guess yeah. that's very, very, very likely to happen at Mugello. Typical, um, 
uh, Albon move. I feel like Albon always passes on the outside. Yeah. Like every single thing he does is an outside pass. Uh, but yeah, awesome. John, I'm looking at the circuit right now. Yeah, I guess it's it is enough short shoots. Um, it, it looks very curvy, but I, I don't have much of a, a reference. I mean, that looks like that turn nine, the long sweeping right hander there. Um, you know, I can't tell how wide that is from these pictures, but uh, you know, if it's wide enough to go, you know, two two cars plus some room, uh, that might be a fun corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I only see maybe one DRS zone though. Oh yeah. That's well. I mean, I'm looking the front straight would be DRS. There's a little bit of a kink, but it's still flat out, and I don't think it matters. Because um, usually, if there's too big of a kink, they won't DRS it. Because if you're not braking for the corner, then the brakes are what deactivate the DRS. So you see mm-hmm. this in um, Japan. Okay. Uh, they have a uh, the the kind of the, the the last straight before the uh, before the chicane onto the front straight. Uh, they don't DRS it because you do that kink flat out in an F1 car um, okay. without having your rear wing. That's very dangerous to do. Right. Because um, you're not braking, you know. Uh, so then it's like, well, do I brake and lo- and get the DRS so I can make the corner, or do I keep my foot down so I can finish the pass? And that's not a decision you should be making at 200 plus miles an hour. So uh, right. they don't allow DRS there. So that's why I'm like, I'm looking at that turn, you know, 0.5, if you will. If that's mm-hmm. a big enough kink or not, um, because if I'm wondering where DRS would be, uh, maybe between three and four, if that's long enough, or between 11 and 12, if that's long enough. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Could be. It's a it's a pretty big circuit, so there's yeah there, there would be at least like two or three DRS zones, I think. Okay. Yeah, actually, I'm, you know, when I look at aerial shots, it looks a lot bigger than just looking at a track map. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think between three and four, that should easily be a DRS zone. And then uh, maybe 11 and 12. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So we got um, Indy 500 coming up this weekend. Um, and then yeah, I got weekend after. Yeah. You know what is not going to happen? IMSA weekend at Lime Rock. I am mm. so disappointed. I was really looking forward to it. Like, usually it's in July when it's pretty sweltering hot. But, like, you know, early to mid-September would be just perfect weather usually. They were going to have the, the Porsche GT3 Cup there. Mm-hmm. Um, and to see our, our dude Riley Dickinson, um, the first racer to to follow Petrol Cafe on Instagram. So shout out to uh, to Riley. Um, and yeah, I like I was gonna try to set up uh, the booth for uh, for the the race day, and um, it was just gonna be a good weekend, I think, um, because of the weather and the the Porsche Cup, and you know I was gonna do my pop up, you know Petrol Cafe barbecue booth thing and but um unfortunately due to uh quarantine requirements i decided not to do it yeah it's unfortunate um should we talk about ford v ferrari for a second (laughs) depends on how you want to edit this because we're already at like an hour 15 here i know i was just gonna say it was a good movie yeah yep (laughs) it was good um my two cents on that would be i was actually surprised at the this how they changed this some of the parts because i think the real story is more interesting than what the movie did okay. uh, so for example carol shelby had been going around um and had been talking about uh how he got started in the business and he was doing like a national speaking tour like a few years back uh like 10 years ago actually at this point he was doing that and um when he tells the story of what happened he says basically that he went to ac and got all these chassis for the cobra and then he went to ford and said hey guys well first he went to ac and he said hey ford gave me all these motors 
to beat the Corvette. I'd like to put them in your chassis. And AC's like, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, here's our chassis. Ford gave you motors. That's awesome. Then he went to Ford after lying to AC and said, hey, AC gave me all these chassis. I can build a car that beats the Corvette. And they said, here's, you know, let's 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 do it. And then, you know, from there, they moved into Le Mans. But in this in the story, it's Lee Iacola's idea. And he goes to Carroll Shelby with a blank check and says, here, build us a car that can beat Corvette, um, which is uh, not really how it happened. Mm. <laughs> so it was weird. I think that the, the real story of Carroll Shelby lying to this company about having these Ford motors and when he never even talked to Ford yet. Um, I think it's way more interesting and it's public at this point. It's not like it's hidden information. You know, Carol Shelby, uh, he's got nothing to hide at this point. Um, at that point. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Carol Shelby, uh, yeah. Dead. He's passed away. Yeah. Okay. When did he die? Uh, I don't know. It was probably, it was within the last decade. Um, oh, okay. Carol Shelby. Let's see. Uh, I 2012. Okay. Okay. So, all right. Take what, that box. What's going to be our uh, next watch it with us? It's your turn. I don't know. Motorcycle. Should we have a watch it with us? What do you think? Is uh, I mean, with all the racing, should we have it? I agree. Maybe let's save that for a winter activity. There's too much racing going on right now. I don't have time to, to watch racing when I'm watching racing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I'm going to try to get more uh, interviews and stuff. Um, Lee Diffie, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> we'd love to interview you, <laughs> mostly because you, you're a local guy. You live in Connecticut for some reason. I don't know why, but I want to know why. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I don't think I have any connections on the Lee Diffie front. Hey, I look, you know, I, I know one guy who knows a guy who's friends with him, and that's about it. Hey, hey, that's like what? Three degrees of separation. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Hey, we can, we can, can you know, I, I don't think that's a big obstacle to overcome. Yeah. Um, yeah. After the Indy 500, you know, or, or maybe, who knows? I mean, maybe he's, he won't be busy uh, during the winter time because there's no Indy car <laughs> over the winter. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's actually a, uh, I'm going to try to get an interview with the founders of Bison uh, custom motorcycle leathers. Okay. It's, it's this really new company. I think the I, I think this this guy is nuts in, in to me in my mind. Um, it's this new company that makes custom racing leathers or track leathers for for motorcyclists, and they they offer it at a competitive price. But the way that they're doing it is just insane. I think because they're marketing basically by touring the country. Um, going to track days and motorcycle racing events. And it's just like this guy and his wife and their two kids, and they're just in this motorhome marketing their leathers. And some racers are, are wearing them, but that's just nuts to me. That's like, like what a what a way to do your life. I mean, I can imagine if like right from the get-go, you and your family uh, are like very nomadic and that's just how you live. But to for both parents to leave stable jobs, like, sell your house, like get this motor home and start marketing these, you know, racing leathers of all things. Like yeah. it's not even, not even like a high volume consumer product, right? Super niche. Um, you know, I'm just so curious about it and, and, uh, you know, want to know how they're, how they're doing. Awesome. So someone actually just came to mind while you were talking here and that's, um, my buddy, Mike, he races for, he also works for Liquamali. Um, oh. And he races for he races their Volkswagen. Oh yeah, Mike uh, Hurtson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, he's someone we can get on. I'm good friends with him, his brother, his dad, his mom. Okay. Uh, so I could uh, I can uh, probably talk to him. All right. Yeah, let's do it. 
learn about the the TCR series. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he won it last year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, yeah I, I'm curious. I'm blanking on his co-driver's name. I don't know why Nick. Um, well, I can't think of it. It's bothering me. Does it start with an F? His last name, Nick. No, I, I can't even. It's on my tongue. I don't even know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, cool. Um, yeah, that about does it. Um, you'll be watching the uh, Indy 500 this weekend. Um, so I'm actually gonna have to rewatch it during the week because I'm gonna be away on Sunday. Oh, that's right. You have a wedding or something, right? No, that's next week. Um, okay. Uh, helping a friend move, and uh, I'll probably end up missing most of the race, so I'm just going to wait for Monday and watch it fresh. Okay, cool. All right, everyone, uh, that about does it for this episode of the Petrolhead Podcast. Um, I just want to let you all know that uh, we are having a special on the Petrolhead Cafe website um, and the online shop uh, this week to celebrate Connecticut's tax-free uh, week on clothing. Um, we are also adding free shipping for those of you who purchase, um, for anyone who purchases uh, merchandise on the website at petrolheadcafe.com shop. That's petrolheadcafe.com shop. We've added a few new things. Um, we've got a vintage style logo that we're running now on, on our merchandise, uh, a few all over t-shirts. Uh, I think I'm going to get one of those myself pretty soon. Uh, a nice one with a vintage Porsche on it. Um, looks pretty cool. But if you enter the code free ship at checkout from buying merchandise, then you will receive free shipping. So go ahead, go to petrolheadcafe.com shop and enter the code free ship for free shipping. And don't forget, if you are in Connecticut, the purchase will also be tax free. So no sales tax, no shipping. Go check it out. Get yourself some Petrolhead merch. Yeah, lots of uh, stuff on there. T-shirts, uh, baby clothes, women's clothes, hats. Yep, I got two onesies for my kids already. Awesome. Um, and plenty. Of, yeah, I got plenty of stuff myself for... I mean, I, I had to sample everything to make sure the quality was good for, for the buyer before I uh, unleashed it to the general public. So... Um, but yeah, if you uh, have any complaints about any merchandise, go ahead and direct your complaints to Chaz, and he will uh, take care of that for you. <laughs> yeah, <I could> help. <laughs> he'll, he'll set you up. <laughs> he'll set you up with a refund. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, I'm Kyle Mayer, and I'm Chaz Logue saying speed safely.